right, well this morning we're going to continue with the teaching series we started a couple of weeks ago called What's Right With You? What's Right With You? I told you that so much of our culture is, trains us to focus on the things that are bad, the things that are wrong, the things that are negative. Uh, so we're trying to flip that on its head a little bit these few weeks as we're changing our focus a little bit to focus on what's right. I told you that the, the verse from Paul's letter to the Romans, Romans chapter 12, verse 2, would be our theme verse for this series. It says, Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good pleasing, and perfect will. I told you that word transform comes from the Greek word metamorphosis, which we know is used to talk about how caterpillars are transformed into beautiful butterflies. And Paul tells us that the key to transformation is the renewal of our minds. The key to transformation is the renewal of our minds. I told you that to renew our mind is to change what we think about, to change what we think about, because we reflect what we focus on. We reflect what we focus on. I told you that we know this is true physically. The things that we consume physically affect the way that we feel. If we eat junk, we feel like junk. That's right. So the same is true spiritually, emotionally, mentally. What we put in is what we're going to feel like. So we want to focus on what's right. In the first week, we looked at Paul's letter to the Philippians where he told them that they were to think about the things that were true, noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable, excellent, and praiseworthy. doesn't mean that there aren't things in life that aren't those things. It just means that in the midst of life, we can choose. Are we going to focus on the things that are negative and the things that are depressing and sad and negative, or are we going to focus on the things that are positive and true and noble and right and pure? We get to choose what we focus on, and we will reflect what we focus on. Last week, we talked a little bit about perspective. We looked at the story of the spies going into the land of Canaan, 12 spies who go in and saw the exact same land, and yet they came back and had two very different reports. Ten of them only focused on the, the size of the enemy and the size of the obstacle, and because of that, their unbelief led them to not be able to go into the promised land, while two focused not on the size of the obstacle, but on the size of their God and the power of their God. And because they chose to use the perspective of the power of God, they got to experience the blessing and the benefit. So today we're going to look at perspective from just a little different angle. It's going to be from the story, one of the stories about Jesus. Before we do that, I'm going to remind you the definition of perspective I gave you last week. Perspective is the lens or angle with which we view something. The lens or angle with which we view something. We look at everything from a particular angle. We get to choose which angle we look at any situation from. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Mark chapter 6. Mark chapter 6. I'll give you a little bit of background. The uh, book of Mark is named the book of Mark because the early Christians believed it was written by a guy named Mark. You guys are so smart. I knew you'd, I knew you'd keep track. So uh, Mark was believed to have been a companion of the Apostle Peter later in his life. And, and it's believed that Mark, while he was uh, a companion of Peter, wrote down Peter's memories, sort of took his memoirs. So if that's true, if Mark was a companion of Peter, then what we have in the book of Mark is eyewitness accounts to what Peter himself saw as he spent months and years following Jesus personally. 
So a little bit of background of the story we're going to look at here in Mark. Jesus had sent out his apostles on a little mission trip. He had sent them out two by two to go and preach the good news to different cities. They just finished and they're coming back. Jesus' cousin, John the Baptist, had just been executed by King Herod for some of the things he had said to Herod and his wife that made them upset. Uh, so they're, they're coming back, so everybody's a little bit tired from the mission trip. They're a little bit sad, uh, or a lot a bit sad because of this recent news. And so that's where we pick up in Mark chapter 6. We'll start in verse 30. It says, The apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all they had done and taught. Then, because so many people were coming and going that they did not even have a chance to eat, he said to them, Come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. So they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. So they've had a long few days. They've had some bad news. They haven't had time to eat. They're tired. Jesus says, all right, let's gather together. Let's take some time to rest. Verse 33, but many who saw them leaving recognized them and ran on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. I just love this about Jesus. This could, this could be its own sermon sometime, just the way that Jesus, even after a long day, even after tired and hungry and bad news and he was sad, he sees this crowd and instead of saying, look guys, it's been a really long day, can you come back and see me tomorrow, he just... He has compassion on the crowd and he ministers to them. He's, he just he so demonstrates selfless service. So plans change a little bit. They were going to spend some time by themselves. The people show up. Jesus has compassion and begins to teach them. Uh, you know, we don't know how long he taught for. We don't know how long this took. But verse 35 tells us, By this time it was late in the day. So his disciples came to him. This is a remote place, they said, and it's already very late. Send the people away so they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. That makes sense, doesn't it? The apostles are being very thoughtful, very reasonable here. Jesus, it's getting late. These guys need to get something to eat. The restaurants are going to close soon. If we don't send them out, they're not going to be able to eat. All of the restaurants are going to close. So, you know, I mean, it's a very logical thing. It's very thoughtful. The disciples are being very considerate of the crowds, right? Or perhaps, you know, they're just using, maybe they're, maybe they're actually the ones that are hungry. We saw in the previous verse that they hadn't had time to eat yet. So maybe they're saying, you know, they're using the crowd as an excuse. Jesus, go send them away to get something to eat because we're hungry too. Remember, we haven't had a chance to eat yet. Um, you know, maybe, maybe sometimes you think that, you know, the teacher's teaching just a little bit long and you're getting a little hungry for lunch and so you're like, hey, preach, wrap it up a little quick, okay, we're getting hungry out here. Maybe that's what the disciples are thinking. Jesus has been teaching for a little while, their stomachs are starting to rumble a little bit. Maybe you can relate. Uh, so very thoughtfully, very reasonably, they, they say, Jesus, send them away, let, let them get something to eat. Uh, they, were not, they were not ready for Jesus' response. Jesus says to them in verse 37, he says, you give them something to eat. What? what? This is a pretty big crowd, Jesus. I, I, don't, I don't know if we have enough food. I don't, I don't know if we can take care of that. The Greek actually has an emphasis on the word you here. You give them something to eat. In other words, Jesus is saying, don't send them away. I want you to feed them right here where they are. You take care of them. 
And the disciples were obviously very uh, confused by this. Their, their reply in the end of verse 37, they say, Jesus, that would take 200 denarii. 200 denarii. Are we to go out and spend that much on bread and give it to them to eat? So, so let's put this in a little bit of perspective. A denarius was roughly a day's wage for a day laborer in that time. If you were a day laborer back in first century Palestine, you would make about one denarius a day. The disciples are saying it would cost about 200, 200 denarii to feed this crowd. So if you think about it, if they were good Jews, if they worked six days a week and took a Sabbath every week, that means they would work for approximately 313 days every year. So they would make about 313 denarii every year. So they're saying, Jesus, this is going to take approximately 63% of an annual salary to feed this crowd. This is going to take 7.6 months worth of salary to feed this crowd. You want us to go into the villages and spend that much money on a single meal? Jesus, is this really the best investment of our resources? Is that really how we should be spending our money on one meal for this large crowd? It's a very logical question, isn't it? The disciples are thinking very logically. They're, they're looking at the size of the crowd. They're, they're looking at the bank statement. They're saying, Jesus, I, are you sure? I mean, it, it's been a long day. Do you, maybe you just need to sit down and rest. You, you, you're sounding kind of crazy today, Jesus. It, that's, that's a lot of money to feed this big old crowd. So then Jesus asked them a question in verse 38. He says, how many loaves do you have? He asked go and see. So they're thinking, how much, how, Jesus, how much do you think that we hauled in here? Like, we didn't bring a whole lot with us on the boat. Like, we didn't bring enough bread to feed this entire crowd. I, I'm not sure why you're, you were with us the whole time. Why are you asking us to go and see? Maybe they're supposed to go into the crowd. So the disciples leave, and you can, sort of, you can sort of picture them, imagine them like whispering to themselves as that maybe they, they start going among the crowd and saying, hey, did you guys, did you bring some food? Do you, do you have any food to share? Did you bring any food? Uh, they, they ask themselves, you know, did you store an extra loaf that you haven't let us know about? So they're scrounging around trying to, trying to find what they can come up to. Mark doesn't tell us where they got the food. Uh, the Gospel of John tells us that they actually found a little boy in the crowd who had brought a little sack supper. Uh, and so they asked the little boy, say, hey, can, can we have your supper? And so, so they, they get their little supper uh, that the boy brought. He brought his own supper to the meal. He was thinking ahead. And, and so they take it from him. <laughs> Obviously, he would have given it to him. And so, th so they, they open up that sack supper and they start, okay, we've got, well, here's a couple of loaves. One, two, three. All right, we've got five loaves and two fish. We've got five loaves and two fish. So, th so they bring it to Jesus. They say, All right, Jesus. We, we scrounged around. We asked everybody in the crowd. This is, this is what we could come up with. We, we've got five loaves and two fish. So at this point, obviously they're thinking that Jesus is going to come to his senses, right, and say, oh, that's not nearly enough. Go ahead and send them into the towns. Let them go to the restaurants to get something to eat. That's the very logical response for Jesus to do, right? Of course, that's exactly what Jesus is going to do. Five loaves and two fish. There's no way it can feed a crowd of that size. So, when they found out, they said five loaves and two fish. Then Jesus directed them all to have the people sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties. And at this point, the disciples have just got to be thinking, what in the world is he doing? 
Like, we just showed him. We only have five loaves and two fish. Why is he having them sit down? It's getting late. There's no way this is going to take care of them. Jesus, what are you thinking? They need to go. The restaurants are closing soon. It's getting dark. You can just imagine them whispering to themselves as they're doing this. Verse 41 says, Jesus, taking the five loaves and the two fish, looking up to heaven... He gave thanks, and he broke them, and he started to distribute them to his disciples. He also divided the fish among them all. So let's do a little bit of math here. If we consider that Jesus had 12 apostles, that's probably who they're referring to. If we take five loaves and two fish and we divide that among 12 apostles, that means that each apostle would have got roughly a half a loaf of bread and one-sixth of a little fish. Half a loaf of bread and one-sixth of a little fish. And Jesus says, all right, go feed the crowd. So imagine, imagine how silly they would have felt as they walk up with half a loaf of bread and one-sixth of a piece of fish. And they walk up to crowds seated in fifties and hundreds. And, and how silly they would have felt. You know, you, you got to wonder at the beginning, like, did they just tear off just a tiny little piece of bread? Like, how in the world am I going to stretch this among hundreds and hundreds of people? And just a little piece of bread and a little piece of fish for you. A little piece of bread and a little piece of fish for you. A little piece. You, you got to wonder, like, the, you know, the doubt in their minds is there. You know, you've you, you got to give them some credit, right? Because they're, they're being obedient to Jesus. They're, they're doing what he said. But in their minds, they've got to be thinking, I hope he can pull this off because this is pretty embarrassing. But imagine how that doubt would have turned to wonder as they break off a piece of bread and break off a piece of bread and break off a piece of fish and break off a piece of bread. And it doesn't get any smaller. Like, somehow, no matter how much they break off, they continue to have bread and fish. And they pass through the crowds of fifties and hundreds, and the, and the little half a loaf of bread and the little sixth of a fish doesn't diminish. And, and they start going through rows and rows and rows and hundreds and hundreds of people. And imagine in their hearts how, how excited they would have been. Like, this is amazing. I've just fed hundreds of people from a half a loaf of bread and a little sixth of a fish. And imagine how, how much wonder and excitement would have been in their hearts at that moment. Then Mark goes on to tell us in verse 43, he says, they all ate and were satisfied. They all ate and were satisfied. I love that Mark includes that part, and were satisfied. That means that, you know, because Mark could have just said they all ate, and we could have think, oh, well, that just means they got like a tiny little morsel of bread and a little taste of fish. Yeah, they all ate. But that's not what Mark, he doesn't stop there. He says they all ate and were satisfied. They were full. That They were full. This entire crowd was completely full. It says, uh, and... The disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces of bread and fish. The number of men who had eaten was 5,000. 5,000. And now, if this is literal, if that just means men, if we don't, if all that was is men, so the lowest number is 5,000. If we think that maybe that's just men and there were women and children involved too, we're looking at 10 to 20,000 people. That's how many, how many people. So we're not, you know, it could be as low as 5,000, which is still incredible, as many as 10 to 20,000 with five loaves 
and two fishes, and there were 12 full baskets left over when they were done. Imagine how the disciples' doubt would have turned to wonder as they saw Jesus work and transform five loaves and two fishes into an entire meal for 5,000 people. So how does this relate to perspective? The disciples, they focused on what they could observe with their five senses. They saw five loaves and two small fishes. They saw a crowd of 5,000, and they say there's no way. The math just doesn't work. It's not possible. And they were right, right? In a sense, they were right. There's no way. If, if, I, told, if I gave you five loaves and two fishes and told you to go feed you know, the entire crowd at an Indiana University football game, you would think I was crazy, right? They were right. They were right to doubt that five loaves and two fishes could do that much. Just like the spies last week were right when they looked at the size of the enemy and the obstacles of land. Those were true things. It's not like they were deceived. Those were true things. But Jesus knew something different. Jesus knew, like the old hymn says, little is much when God's in it. Little is much when God's in it. A few loaves and fishes in the hands of Jesus was more than enough to meet the need. Jesus had a different perspective. Jesus had an elevated perspective. He knew that he had connections, right? And that, that with, you know, God on his side, the Father on his side, he could, he could meet the needs of the people. Jesus had a different perspective that, that five loaves and two fishes plus God is more than enough. Five loaves and two fishes plus God is more than enough. So here's the bottom line. Little is much when God's in it. Little is much when God's in it. So, so what does that mean for us? What's, what's the application to this? Well, what about your life? What do you, when, you, when you look at yourself, what do you see? Do you, do you say, oh, well, you know, gosh, I'm... I'm not the richest person, I'm not the smartest person, I'm not the strongest person, I'm not the, the boldest person, I'm too young, I'm too old, I don't have enough education. If you look at yourself and you see, I just, I don't know what God can do with little old me. Little is much when God's in it. It's been said that God is less interested in your ability than he is in your availability. He's not so much interested in what you can do. He's interested in you making yourself available to work through you. The Apostle Paul actually told us that God prefers to work with weak people and he uses the weak things and the foolish things of this world because that magnifies his glory and his power. Are we willing to place what little we have in Jesus' hands and let him do what he does best? Are we willing to place what little we have in Jesus' hands and let him do what he does best? You know, I think about this church. You know, it, by way of comparison, we're not the biggest church in town, right? We're not the, the most, we're not the best financed church in town. We don't have the, the largest crowd. You know, we, we don't have necessarily the best location in town. But, you know, when we compare ourselves with some of these other churches and stuff, we don't look like much. You know, I'm not the greatest preacher in town. I'm not the greatest administrator. I'm not the greatest evangelist. I'm not the greatest pastor in town. But I do believe that if we are willing to entrust the little that we do have 
to God, He can use us to accomplish great things in His kingdom. Because it's not about what we have and what we can do, it's what God can do when we trust that into His hands. In order for the the loaves and the fishes to be used to feed that many people, somebody had to be willing to take what they had, the little bit that they had, and they had to be willing to place that in Jesus' hands. They had to be willing to give up what they had and place it in Jesus' hands and trust that Jesus was going to use it for His good and for His kingdom. And there there might have been some apprehension there, right? Imagine, you know, this is the only food you brought for the evening, and and Jesus is saying, I'm going to use this to feed everybody. You're thinking, well, geez, I'm going to go hungry. Well, how about in our own lives? When you think of your ability or your finances or, or us as a church or this building, you know, are we willing to entrust what we have, what we've been given? Are we willing to give it back into Jesus' hands and let him do what he does best? If a few loaves and small fishes in the hands of Jesus can feed a crowd of 5,000, imagine what a few committed disciples committed to kingdom work can accomplish in this community, in this town, in this nation, in this world. If we're willing to entrust Jesus with the little that we have and let him do what he does best. Little is much when God's in it. Let me pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we just... We're in awe of your amazing power, of your goodness, of your grace. We're in awe of the way that you can multiply the loaves and the fishes to feed a crowd. And Father, we we trust, we believe that you can multiply the little that we have to offer you. Our time, our talent, our money, our, our resources, our ability, our availability. That you can take these things as we offer them to you in trust and in faith. And that you can use us to be a blessing here in this church, in this community, in this town, in this state. Father, we know that even though we may not have much to offer, little is much when you're in it. We thank you for this promise. Help us to have the perspective of Jesus, to not see the scarcity, to not see only what we can see with our senses, but to see what's possible when you're involved. Give us your eyes, God, in Jesus' name. Amen.